every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Jolie Erton and Lauren Vaccarello. Jolie is the Senior Director of Analyst Relations at Splunk, and Lauren is the Chief Marketing Officer at SalesLoft. They join us today to discuss the crucial role that analyst relations play in driving growth for your company. In this episode, we'll explore the benefits of effective analyst relations, including increased visibility, credibility, and thought leadership, as well as the potential challenges you may face and strategies for success. Whether you're a startup or a large enterprise, you won't want to miss this valuable discussion. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by Qualified. Qualified is the pipeline generation platform for revenue teams that use Salesforce. You can intelligently grow your pipeline by understanding the signals of buying intent and having real-time conversations right on your website. You can learn more at qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Jolie Erton and Lauren Vaccarello and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to another episode of Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. And today I am joined by two special guests, two old friends. First, Jolie, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Ian? I am wonderful. Excited to chat with you today. And Lauren, how are you? I am so good. I am so excited to be here with both of you. I have been looking forward to this for a very long time. You and I get to sit in the cheap seats and and let the let the master tell us tell us how things are done as 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 is always when we're when we're hanging out with Jolie. It is. I I like to tell everybody and anyone who'll listen and people who won't listen that everything I learned about analyst relations I learned from Jolie, and I'm so 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 excited to be here with her again. Oh my gosh. And I feel the same way about you, Lauren. I mean, everything I learned about demand gen and the demand curve, I learned from you. And I use the I use that in my running of the AR program every single day. All right. So let's get into it today. A little bit of a different episode for us. We're going to be talking about analyst relations, how it fits in with demand, how it fits into marketing, how it fits into a, a CMO's repertoire here. And so we'll look at AR both from Jolie's perspective as as one of the world's experts on AR. And, and then we'll also look at it from Lauren's perspective. Dare I say the world's expert on it, Jolie. So, so. <laughs> you got, sorry. You got, oh my gosh. Okay. So to get into it first, what is analyst relations and how do you think about it? So analyst relations is a strategic function that ensures at the end of the day, it ensures that, that companies are assessed fairly accurately and the best way possible by the industry analysts that advise end users of or budget owners of technology. Yeah. And like, why is this so important? Why is what the analysts say and think and write about like so important, especially for, for enterprise and B2B technology? The analyst relations is really, it's an important function in that you're really hitting all the audiences that you should be for a company, no matter what size or no matter what size or maturity of the business that it's in. So if you think about, you know, public relations as primary mechanism for creating 
big marketing moments or big sort of newsworthy moments in market, but that's more of a one way from company to the world. And then you think about investor relations as having that two-way dialogue with investor community and really helping them to understand, you know, why, how should they be valuing your company and why, you know, you matter in, in the market and why you're worthy of that investment. Analyst relations is that third pillar and an, a just as important pillar that allows you to really get your differentiation for your portfolio and why and how do you value that for the your end user customer clients. And the way you do that is through analysts that write, their whole job is to write about technology and evolution of that technology and why, why it matters for the customer. So, and I think that's by working with the analyst group, you're really getting a scalable impact to getting your solution, your differentiation, and why should that matter for your target audience? Lauren, how should a CMO think about AR and how it fits into your marketing repertoire? Great question. If you are a B2B marketer with a technology solution, analyst relations is one of the most important and one of the most strategic functions that you will have. I, I think about it as, again, as Jolie said, this is this two-way communication. How are we working with analysts to help understand, define, and scope the category? And this is potentially your company helping define and scope what a category is. Where do you play? What are you buying? But also getting these really critical insights from analysts to come back and say, this is who your target audience is. This is actually what they care about. This is what they're buying. This is why this matters. And then you could take that information, you work with your product organization, and you're getting that to help you build better products, products that people want to buy, and will have a bigger impact on the company. So it is, you can use analysts to help influence your internal strategy. And then you're also communicating with them of where you're going, how your company is evolving, because the same way that we are getting insights from analysts, so are thousands and thousands of technology buyers who are relying on these analysts, relying on their reports to understand what's out there, what matters, and what's going to really propel their business. I think that's more important than ever these days because, I mean, I think you live this every day as a CMO, yep. that the buying world has is, is gotten more decentralized, right? Yes. So it's not that just IT is spending money on IT investments. A lot of IT decision-making is happening across the company from the C levels on down to lines of business. And of course, ultimately IT will have to implement. So, so things have gotten complex, all the more reason why I think customers are customers and buyers of technology are turning to analysts because analysts yes. make things complex things, complex concepts simpler. And then they help sort of cut to the chase in terms of if you're looking for a particular solution, who are the top three vendors you should be considering? Who should be, what should be in that RFP that you want to do a bake off on? And then how mm -hmm. should they be thinking about the success of that, you know, that solution for your business? What are, and then when you're negotiating with the vendor, what are the common terms or average price? So it goes a full gamut from, do I have a problem that I need to solve with technology? And then if so, who should I look at? all the way down to your procurement team can negotiating and trying to get the best terms. A hundred percent. And it's the, I'm always in the sort of the two seats as the CMO. My team includes analyst relations. So we are working with the foresters and the gardeners of the world to help 
define in scope what the category is. I'm in such an exciting market where it is not, it is not, you know, it hasn't been around for 20 years and it's set in stone. So we're defining what sales engagement and revenue intelligence is, what the future of this technology is. So we're in this super cool place where we're working with analysts on defining what this is, understanding what customer needs are. And then there's the other side of my job that's me as a customer of the the gardeners and the foresters and the IDCs of the world where I'm a buyer of technology. And when I'm trying to figure out what technology I'm going to buy, whether it's me or my IT team, we're going to analysts and saying, you know what, we're considering ABM solutions right now. This is what I think I know. What don't I know? What advice do you have? What are you seeing in the market? And we can go to them and get their perspective that then on the buyer side, I then ask better questions. I understand the market better. So it is this incredible sort of two-way street. And as a sitting on both sides, it's important to sort of leverage both sides of the equation. I always like to say, you know, everything I know about AR, I learned from Jolie. And when I think about, and sorry, Ian, I'm going to do your job on this one. I was like, but I want to ask questions. I'm trying not to ask questions. I, I, so Jolie, when you think about analyst relations, there's participating in existing categories and there's category creation. And I got to work alongside Jolie as she has worked on creating categories at Box. And I say that as a plural, sort of categories plural. And I would love to, you know, ask Jolie, like, why do you create categories? How did you do it? It definitely is one of the most fun parts of running AR programs is when you are lucky enough to be teamed up and working for a company that that is early enough in its journey where you are truly disrupting the status quo. You are challenging the incumbents that are in the place. So which was the case with Fox circa 2011, 2012, 2013-ish, you know, when they first came on board and they had this modern way of what the analysts now call digital workplace. But back then, I there was no there was no word to describe what we did. And what we displaced was the what was there before, which was the Microsoft SharePoint, which is very dominant form of file sharing and a drive that most like a shared drive for departmental content sharing that was happening in the market. And Box offered a very unique and a very different way of solving that same problem. And they were doing it at a time, they were doing it at a time, it was very unique because this idea of, you know, the the technology only being for company technology services to be only provided by IT, that to be sanctioned, we all have to use company issued devices, all that sort of assumptions about how you provide IT services for your employees was being challenged through consumerization of IT. The the shadow IT, a lot of these things are very new sort of constructs that are coming through. And so the fun part about working in that context for analyst relations is that you can really, you know, you can, you really are on the same sort of playing field with analysts and that they learn as much, you know, from you as a vendor, kind of seeing things for the first time. And then they help you put these terminologies and constructs in place to help their end user clients that may not recognize that these disruptions, these disruptions are happening in the marketplace. And then they put 
words and terms and ways of thinking into place to help bring those ideas to the masses, the masses of buyers that you want to go after. So net net for Box is that our CEO, Aaron Levy, really did not like all the existing ways in which the he just firmly believed. And the reason I was hired is that he firmly believed that we were truly in a new category. We didn't want to be judged by the old category and the way, the functionality that they provided, because it was not the better way. We we offered a much better way at a much more economic price value point. So it took us several years, but we ended up creating a whole new category run, Enterprise File Sync and Share, which ultimately became a evaluative report in the form of a Mag- Gartner Magic Quadrant and is forced away. It took several years, but we ultimately got, and we got to just create the whole RFP, the customer requirements, how you should be evaluating that technology and making the case for considering this new way of working. And that was super fun. And eventually that became Digital Workplace and it became one of the one of the arsenal in your digital workplace portfolio. So Julie, there's sort of different phases of, of where a company is at. And and that's, you know, what what Lauren was sort of talking about there, where there's someone who is trying to establish like a new category that needs to sort of help like build that up. There's someone who is in an existing category where they're sort of not at all being considered by analysts as as a company that is, you know, anything worth a darn. So just getting to be considered is important. And then there's trying to be in the top right. I, well, unless there's like, I mean, I guess there's other stages within that, but are those kind of the big three or what do you think there? I think that's pretty good. I mean, I will say as an AR pro, it's always fun when you're going trying to meet the top three <laughs> and the, and trying to maximize your position on the top right. But that's not for every company. For some companies, maybe if they're early stage, then you know maybe just being named a cool vendor in a Gartner report that's good enough for that year. As you mature, and at the end of the day, you have to have a sustainable business that is that is real. Right. And because at the end of the day, the industry analysts reflect what is happening in the market. So if you are driving demand, you are getting customers and you're getting them in a visible way, then you will show up, particularly as a B2B company. How big of a market does there need to be to get considered by vendors? How big of a does a category need to be or to get considered by analysts? These days, 10 years ago, I would say you would have had to be a certain size in, in a certain scale of a business before you would get attention from the analysts. But, you know, analyst world is changing a lot, just like we are all experiencing role shifts and the role of a CMO, the role of CPO, the CRO, it's all evolving and the role of an analyst is evolving as well. So I think there's a much more of an appetite these days and it's more more bifurcated. I think for certain markets, they're like infrastructure as a service, for example, like that game is done, you know, like, like it's Amazon, it's Microsoft, you know, and maybe you'll have some regional providers, but there's a clear dominant gold standards that most companies are going to go after the big three, Google being like the really the distant third there. It's really AWS and Azure and GCP for the third. So like in those type of more mature markets where it's 
it's clear the breakout leaders, and then and then you might have some special needs in the regions or different requirements that you may have. But for other markets like Lawrence, for example, in you know this whole space that she's trying to create category clarity or create a whole new category because there's nothing that exists today. There's a much more of an appetite for the analyst to engage with earlier stage companies than there have been that I've seen in the past five years. And like when you say earlier, like how is that like, hey, I just raised 50 million bucks early. Is it, is it, you know, is it how many customers you have? Is it that you're doing something cool, that your technology is cool? Like what, what, what catches the ears and eyes? I would contend that no matter how small you are, like series C, D, E stage, you should consider having that function, even if you're getting support through a AR agency or, you know, if, even if you can't afford the headcount, so you'd have to hire a contractor or through AR consultancies and of there are a number of them these days, it's not going to hurt you. I think it could only benefit you. That's what I say as a someone who's been in this profession and watched this field really evolve over the years. I would say five years ago or even nine year, nine-ish years ago when I got hired at Fox, it, you know, it wasn't very typical for a Series D company to hire a full-time, pretty experienced director-level AR leader at Box, I think that really is the kudos to Aaron Levy on understanding the importance of these sort of super influencers who can really help have a scalable impact on helping tell your story. So really, it's to Aaron that I got hired. But at that time, it really wasn't that well established. Most air functions were established like just around the IPO or post-IPO stage when you start to kind of build a like very regular rhythm. And you, particularly if you're in a B2B space, you want to make sure that you're getting your share of voice with the analyst community. So it was more sort of IPO, just post-IPO, that you would hire this function, usually as a part of a comms function, which is whole another thing that, you know, <laughs> I've talked to Lauren about, don't put it under comms. It's not, usually it doesn't work out that way. If your company is trying to, quote unquote, create a category around something where there is nothing, and analysts aren't looking at that space, or you think it needs to be redefined, it seems like you have to invest in having an AR person, right? Like how else would you shape those analysts? Like how are they just having their CEOs talk to them? Like how else would people be doing it? Initially, so analyst relations is one function. You know, I I would think that you have to have multiple different parts of the organization working on it. Because number one, I think, you know, when you're trying to create a new category, because there's nothing that exists, first of all, is there a large TAM? Is there a large TAM? Do you believe that there's a large TAM, total addressable market? And where are you going to get that TAM? Do you get that TAM simply through demand generation strategies? Or are Mm -hmm. you going to get it from existing markets? Are you going to get it from existing markets? Because you're such a better alternative, you can make that case that you're better, you're, you're more economical, you are a better way. So, and it's that latter part, you know, you have a huge TAM, you can clearly see that huge TAM, which was in the case of Box, because they were going after an existing market. And then they were also going after a brand buyer types that were, because their initial go-to-market strategy was the freemium 
So freemium in the enterprise was never done. I think Box was one of the first enterprise B2B company that really used that tactic. And that was a just tremendous legion initially the tremendous legion engine for them. And so they're going after this sort of credit card transactions, you know, departmental purchase buys through R&D, heads of R&D, heads of our HR, heads of marketing that the traditional buyers did not tap into. So, you know, when you have situations like that in which there's a clearly a huge TAM. You can make the case through your execution. You can make the case in which you're approaching the go-to-market a little differently. Like that's when I think you need to invest in an AR function. Like these different things need to kind of come together. You mentioned there are a bunch of AR agencies out there and that may be the case where you leverage an AR agency to, to help you and to help do some of the work. And then you have a program manager internally or someone going in to, to help do that. But really needing the strategic function is a lot of what Jolie, Jolie described. And there are some phenomenal AR agencies out there. Like I've worked with the Skills Connection and have had great, great sort of success with them in past lives. And really knowing if you are outsourcing some of your AR and you're looking for an agency, knowing what you're knowing what you want to get out of them and knowing where you want to leverage them is critical. Is knowing what you want to get out of them sometimes like, should I even be investing in this in the first place? A hundred percent. And it is, especially if your company's new to AR, you may think to Jolie's point, you know, I'm an incrementally better version of Slack. And based on that, I should be hanging off the, the magic quadrant on this. And this is my perception of the world. And this is just going to be easy. And you may, you know, hire a phenomenal AR agency to come in and to have that hard conversation with you that says, that's actually not real. And you are not going to be there and let's reset expectations. Also, they may be able to say, if you want to be there, this is what you have to do to get there. Mm. And they will have the external expertise. And from my perspective, a great external AR agency We'll have that hard conversation with you and we'll not, you know, blow smoke at you and say, no, no, you, you deserve to be this. I'll be like, you know what? No, you don't. And to get there, this is the functionality you're missing. These are the customers you're missing. You can get there, but it's not happening today. Yeah. So, so that's what they would say. They would say, Hey, you need to add these features and functions onto your platform and you need yeah. to go get X, Y, Z type of customers, number of customers. Yeah, that's and fascinating. And then here's the strategy you need to do to get there. And like, you need to have these relationships. And that's, sometimes you need that external force to be able to go and do that. Not all of us can have Julie. Yeah, well, so the good AR consultant would do an assessment and they would do an assessment of, you know, where you are, because every company is at a certain stage in the maturity cycle, and they're going to be at a different point in the curve. The The framework that I really love is Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm. So sure. where yeah. are they really? Like, are they, are they in that early adopter tinkler stage? And that's who they're catering to? Or are they like on the precipice of going mainstream with the mainstream buyers? And sometimes what the company thinks they're going after, and especially, you know, you guys all know, because you've worked with startups, like things could change. Your target audience may be the tinkler, and then you may go more mainstream as your, you know, as your service becomes more, more mature, you know, 
you kind of go through that whole technology adoption cycle. And really the for the AR function to thrive, like you want to be on the cusp, like you, you have to be in that sort of mainstream or close to mainstream stage in order for the analyst to really get value out of having those interactions with you. And for, you know, for you as a vendor to get value from those analyst conversations. So it's worth your while, because at the end of the day, we're all, you know, the companies are going to, they're going to, they're going to want to have revenue. They're going to want to have customers. They're going to want to go after progression on that TAM that they're going after. And that's how investors really value your business, right? So no matter what stage you are, I would contend whether you're using a consultant or, you know, it's a matter of when you're making those trade-offs, like I have $100,000 I could use towards, you know, this, uh, like a, like a digital campaign or, you know, or, you know, different tactics that I could use, you know, like you really have to think about like, where, where am I going to make some of these resource bets? And, you know, there's a, maybe an easier way to, depending on, you know, where you are, you know, there's maybe an easier way to like start to get exposed and have start to get those that sort of trust trusted advisory or conversations that really helps you really see where you are today and where you want to go. And, you know, that might help you with the timing about when you want to invest with the actual headcount hiring. Yeah, I mean, this year is the year of ROI, right? Like we all know that. Right. This is the year of ROI. So I, I, I like to get into the ROI of, of having an AR function. And like, Lauren, I know that part of this for you as a CMO has been reading the tea leaves and saying like, why are we losing deals right this second? And then also, why are we going to lose deals a year from now, two years from now, because this is an investment? And I think that that's one of the things that people sort of probably get wrong with AR is like not really understanding how this is going to help you win deals because that's ultimately what it is, right? It's a pipeline accelerator, but it's also like a, are you just going to get selected thing? And that can feel very binary. A hundred percent. And if you are a CMO or a CEO and you're thinking, okay, I put a dollar in, I get X amount of dollars out. So I'm going to invest a hundred thousand dollars in AR and I'm going to get a million dollars of directly attributed revenue. And this is how I'm going to measure the success of my AR program. And I'm going to turn it on today. You are living in a world that does not exist. And analyst relations is different. Yes, there'll be some pipeline of revenue that might be directly attributed to the magic quadrant download on your website. But that's not the point. And part of what a CMO needs to do is both deliver on pipeline and revenue for the business today. So we hit the numbers today. And it's also our responsibility to ensure the long-term growth of the company. And analyst relations, yes, will help today but it's also going to set you up for success tomorrow. It will be the thing that when your salesperson is going in on a call and you are the clear leader in a forester wave, it will make his or her job so much easier. Here is the third party proof. We are head and shoulders above. Here are the reasons why. And you know what? That may or may not show up on a deal report and you can't just do that one-to-one. It will be that it will be, the conversations you are not in the room for when behind the scenes, the buying committee is discussing, should I buy this product? Should I not buy this product? If you are selling technology to another business, 
especially in the enterprise, you better believe those conversations are happening. I worked with a, a CIO years ago that anytime I'd want to make a big purchase and it would go up and it would be my budget and everything would go through and it would be a six or seven figure purchase. The first thing he would say is, can I see the magic quadrant or the wave on that? Yeah. And he would just want to sanity check it. And that's not going to get tagged in any CRM. So it is the ROI. It will be ROI positive. It is going to impact the revenue of your business. And it's also going to set up the long-term growth of your company. If you can help shape, create, be part of that, and you help grow the pie that way, like it is the long-term win for everybody. There's three things that that those people are going to ask about is like, hey, are our competitors using this thing? Do the analysts think this is like, is this a industry leading like platform or product? And like, what are the ratings say on like G2 and places like that, right? It's like, if those three things are aligned and you have a good sales rep, like the deal is going to close, right? A hundred percent. And I, I feel so fortunate to be in the position that I'm in where like, I can't even remember, and this is terrible how many quarters in a row we have been like the number one leader in G2 for sales engagement. We have the best responses for user experience, for customer service, and we are one of the leaders in the Forrester Wave. And when our wave came out, I was so proud of the team for the placement. So we've got the crowdsource G2 team, the crowdsource G2, where we have so many great direct pieces of user feedback we have this incredible, incredible validation from analysts. And and then we also have this just like teams and teams of happy customers. It is the, uh, the ultimate situation I think every company and marketer wants to be part of. So Lauren, like that's really what you want, right? Is that, I mean, I wish the ROI for AR was as clear as some of the parts of marketing in which you have readily have what pipeline and pipeline data that you can show. It's not that clear cut, but, but, but as, as you said, I mean, it is a super strategic and, um, and then at the end of the day, in a, you know, in a year in which cost optimization, you want to hold on to your renewal base, you want to make sure that, you know, you're in every deal in which you have a legitimate shot of getting, which is this year, right? <laughs> Having come yep. off of 2022 of the macro environment with inflation being so high and with all the uncertainty and everyone's focused on the bottom line, the credit, you know, the credit line is not readily available. Capital's like not cheap anymore. So we're in a macro environment in which like you, we, want to hold on to the customer our existing install base we want to ensure that we're in the all the appropriate deals like if 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 we have a legitimate shot at winning that new net new customer you want to be that you want to be in that deal and that's where i think the analysts can help because so much of like you you realize you know when they come to your website, they've been to 12 other places and had multiple other conversations mm -hmm. before they even went and searched and typed in your company name in Google. So this is that sort of, this is all that pre, you know, before you start engaging with your sales force, it's kind of priming the 
foundation and making the best case for why they should be considering you and why you are the best. And at the end of the day, this is a year in which the buyers want the short thing. They want the insurance policy. They want the short thing. They have no room for failure or not meeting their goals. So in a way, like I always think AR really shows up even more. So you need it more in a down cycle than you do in an off cycle. And you need it more, you know, when you know, when you've got a demand engine that is working, you've got a pipeline that's like super healthy and you're on an uptrend. And because of all these other macro, like I honestly think when your business model is being questioned by the investors, when you're having a tough time, when you've got a competitor that is like the 900 gorilla, like, you know, a la, you know, in the enterprise space, sometimes when Adobe or Google enters into your market, that's usually the sign, like <laughs> there's a commoditization that's heading into that market, right? That's when you want, that's when you want the analysts really articulating your value and the reason to, reason to select you. You know, the old adage of no one ever got fired for going with IBM. We all want to be in that position. We all want to be that kind of sure thing. And how are companies going to know who the sure thing is? How are they going to know what your safe bet is? A lot of times it's, what do the analysts say? And now we have things like G2 to say, what do the analysts say? Okay, what's the real, real, what are the customers saying? And then you call customers of those companies to find out what's going on. I feel like that's going to be even more important this year than it has been in a really long time. Agreed. Agreed. Jolie, I'm curious. We talked a lot about the importance of AR, hopefully convinced our our listeners to at least think about it if they don't have AR yet. But how the heck do people get get, get on the page and how the heck do people get into the top three? How do people get number one, like sales loft is all the time? I think the important thing is to... Uh, just maybe sit down with the business owners and really figure out what it is that you want out of the AR program. So at the end of the at, at end of that year, what do you think you're going to achieve? And lot lot of executive focus on the Gartner Magic Quadrants, the maybe the market share numbers if they're you know already if they're already in the market or the you know the Forrester Wave, maybe some of their other marquee reports like the Hype Cycles or the Cool Vendor type reports. Don't those are great. And if you're on those and you're top three, then you've made it. But there is a whole gazillion lot of work that will go into before you can even get there. So I think really, first of all, it's figuring out what it is that, what is your business? What is your play in that market? What is your unique differentiation? And really just getting some of that basic product marketing one-on-one stuff, you know, sort of nailed down. And then, and then you should probably set some goals that you can achieve within a year. And that usually starts with what I call the analyst vetting. So like in the world of demand gen, you probably have this, this concept of you're going to go after, you're going to go after bigger pool. You're going to go after bigger pool of analysts that are in adjacent markets that are somewhat, has some attributes of the market that you are in or that you aspire to create. So in the case of Box, we, even though we didn't have a market of our own, we wanted to create one around this content collaboration space. So we went after content management analysts, collaboration analysts, even mobile app dev analysts, just because we had a mobile, a native mobile app that was, that was out in 
the Apple store that was very popular. And that was a game changer for bringing us into the enterprise. So we went after a bunch of adjacent analysts and just started talking to, to them. And of that, we filtered through that list to a smaller group that we were going to bet on for that year with a specific goal in mind. We started with like, let's say, you know, you start with like 40, I'm just making this number up, but you start with like 40, you have those early conversations. This is what I call targeting. So what, what from that targeting, you then sort of build like what's akin to your ICP, you know, your ideal customer profile, except ideal analyst profile, you know, you might kind of look through and shift through bunch of different market coverage analysts. And then you might kind of hone in on a few because they're showing interest, because they have the power and authority to maybe do something for you. Maybe they own a particular market report. So you build that list and then you have, you put a specific goal in mind. Do you want to be a cool vendor in this space? And you're going to really like talk to that analyst, like every, let's say you're going to touch that analyst every every month, say. So, and then you build that engagement plan, which the engagement plan is probably what, you know, in marketing, you would think of different vehicle and different tactics. So when you think, when you're doing account-based marketing and you are going after a certain type of a customer and you build, you build a destination site, you have email nurture, you have webinars, you have different content and vehicles you want to bring them into both the physical and virtual events, like you kind of build that So that's how you think about the engagement model. You build that engagement plan, you execute consistently, you make sure that different executives are brought into those conversations and you're orchestrating all of that because it's not the same person in, right? So you're orchestrating this interaction, which to me, like, is very much like an ABM motion. You've got this ideal customer profile, ideal analyst profile that you're going after, you are building a plan for, I want to talk to this analyst about the, you know, the value of open standards. I want to talk to this analyst about the next time I'm going to be talking to them about why you need that and why is it significantly better, better way than maybe like another month, you're going to be talking to them about your customer win that you just had, but you build that sort of topical and you build that out and then you run it in an ongoing campaign. And then at the end of the year, you assess yourself and did you get to where you thought you were going to get to? And then you do it again. And then your goals are going to be loftier and bigger the the following year. I love what you just described and having the like AR is ABM and putting those things together, I just think is absolutely brilliant. And it is the, it's building a touch plan and it's, here's how to engage. These are the messages. This is how to be really thoughtful about it. And I mean, I loved how you described it. And I'm literally just wrote that down. And doing that and having these engagements with analysts, and then also saying, okay, we're going to interact with you on all these times. Now, what are we getting from you? And how are we learning from you? And how are we to what you said in the beginning is how are we making this this two way street? What's great insights that you have? How can we feed that back into what we're doing? And then how can we reconfirm that with you? I you know, there's always yeah. brilliant moments when I talk to you. The best AR program is bi-directional. Like the best AR program is like, it's like dating or marriage. You know, you, have, you tell me more. Be, there has to be in it for both parties. You know, if it's just like one party, take, 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 it's not going to be long lasting. It's going to be a short fling. 
know, <laughs> and you may have difficult conversations. You know, there may be a time in which like, it sounds like Lauren, you're in a Forrester wave. So it sounds like you did very well, but let's say you didn't do so well, you know, and you might have very major disagreements. You might have some difficult moments in that relationship, but it's a long-term relationship and it's a bi-directional benefit. If it's a one-sided thing, it's a you know, it's a crash, you know, it's, you know, it's not going to go anywhere or it's a short fling. I, I'm going to have AR is ABM and AR is, AR is marriage. It is not a short-term fling. I, I'm going to use these now and I feel like I need a Jolie trademark at the end of them. Yeah. Remember, cause in the, the targeting days, that's like your speed dating, you know, that's your speed dating. Like, you know, you're talking to a lot of analysts just to get to the one that you're going to invest in for the year. So like, I call that the, when you're going, you know, when you're on Tinder and you start going on those like speed dates, <laughs> you're either going to like, either like you're, you're going to be in or, you know, like that first meeting was it. And then you build your target list from there for the year. Love it. Any piece of advice for for someone who's out there that's a marketer that that wants to get into analyst relations and and thinks all this stuff sounds fun? You know, I was a product marketer, thought I was going to be a lifelong product marketer that <laughs> ended up in analyst relations. So so I think anyone who who's got a hunger for curiosity who is really interested in sort of future moving, like future trends, and how do those trends then translate into how things will change today? Anyone who's kind of read that Mike Jeffrey Moore's book on crossing the chasm, and I thought, oh my God, like I love everything about this construct, and I can see myself reflected here, which was the case with me when I read that book initially, should consider analyst relations. It's a it is, it's a really fun job in that it brings together, if, if done well, it brings together that sort of product marketing acumen in, in terms of like really understanding your buyer, your buyer personas, really understanding the market and why customers should consider you, just being able to kind of articulate that in a very sort of easy to understand way. So like that product marketing 101, it also brings together that sort of corporate strategy or strategic functions of, you know, if I have, you know, $100 to invest, you know, where should I really be making some bets? And then, and then it also brings kind of like a strategic communications, because at the end of the day, this is a, you know, the, the relationship is a critical part of building this program. So that sort of comms or anybody who's in the sort of programmatic uh, sort of the more relationship side that or like business development, I should say, like where where relationships do matter a lot and, you know, who really understands that, like it brings together all of those things. And we also have, we're regularly talking to the CMOs, the C chief product officers, the chief revenue officers, our CEO. So it gives us audience and sort of seat at the table to with the, the senior most executive teams to to kind of help you know using outside in perspective to help influence the company strategy it's it's a fun job i would consider it <laughs> lauren any final thoughts here for for how how cmos should think about yeah definitely so if i think about as a cmo thinking about ar i think about and would have cmos think about AR as a strategic function. It is not a eight levels down. This needs to be 
people, how are we thinking about analyst relations for creating, building, being part of this market? And how am I getting insights and using the analyst relations team function to get insights to feed it back into deeply understanding the market? And really for CMOs in general to be thinking about our function, our role and our place on the executive team to not just be about executing tactics. Our job is to understand the market, where the market is going, have a perspective, have insights, bring that back to the product team, the revenue team, the CEO. And analyst relations is absolutely critical for getting those insights. So really thinking about AR and holding AR to that strategic function that it is. I love hearing that, Lauren. (laughs) You know, I keep AR close. (laughs) Yeah, likewise. Thanks again. And and for all of our listeners, we'll link up Julie's information for LinkedIn and all that stuff to follow along because she she always has great, great thoughts and great stuff to say. And of course, with Lauren and the the ever-evolving, amazing work that they're doing at SalesLoft. That's it. That's all we got for today. Thanks again. ManGen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com, a conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to Qualified.com to learn more.